Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to church this morning, and we're just so happy that you've chosen to join us here. Hey, if this is your first time, there's a QR code in the front page of your bulletin. We'd love for you to scan uh, that with your phone and go to the I'm New page uh, on our website, fill that out, and we can send you some more information about who we are and how to get plugged in here. Hey, just a couple of announcements. Uh, thank you for filling out the survey. If you filled that out last week for the trunk or treat, uh, like, like I said, last year we had a huge amount of people here, over 500 people. So we'd love your help if you could help out with that. This is a great way that we can uh, outreach our community and show them the love of God during a kind of a dark time for many people. And so uh, it's going to be October 20th is the date that we've settled on. So mark your calendars, October 20th. If you're at all able to help out, please talk to me or our kids ministry team uh, leader, Brittany. Uh, we'd love for you to help out any way that you can, uh, whether that be providing a trunk or any other way, too. We need some crowd control, things like that. Uh, also, uh, small groups have started for this year, but you've only missed one meeting. If you haven't signed up yet, it's not too late to join. So please talk to myself or my wife, Tammy, who's leading the women's group. Uh, we'd love for you to get involved with that. It's on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock. We have a men's group and we have a women's group, and they meet every other Tuesday off and on. So uh, we have that. We also have a group meeting before church here on Sunday, too. If you're at all interested, please come and talk to me. We'd love for you to get involved in a group. We think that's a great way for you to grow in your faith. That's all my announcements today. So uh, pray with me, if you will, and uh, we'll, we'll get started for today. Father, thanks so much for everything you've done for us. And Jesus, we want to worship you today. Help us to do that the best way that we possibly can. We want to worship you. We want to honor you, Father. We want to grow in our relationship with you. So help us to do that. We want to leave this place in a deeper relationship than when we came in. Jesus, would you help us to do that? Would you help us to serve you, to honor you, to glorify you more? Because of the time that we spent here together today, worshiping your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, our uh, worship leader, Carolyn, is gone today, so I'm going to need your help singing, all right? So stand up with us, and let's worship the Lord through these next few songs today.
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope.
Well, hey, today during our prayer time, I want to pray for uh, some of the uh, church family members that we have that are, are just uh, just sick. So um, you guys know Jerry Jam Rose. He's, he had, he's had a long battle with bone cancer. Uh, he's hanging in there. He's kind of doing the same old, same old, uh, but he's still really sick. So we want to pray for him. Uh, you also know uh, Carolyn Nieswender. She uh, was put in the nursing home uh, just a month or two ago. She is not doing very well. Hospice has been called in. And uh, so we just want to lift her up uh, this morning as well. So pray with me, if you will. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for all of your goodness, for being a good God to us, for being there for us, for sending your one and only son to die on the cross for our sins, Father. We thank you so much for that. And we bring our, our health needs to you from among our church family here. We pray for the Jam Rosies. We pray that you would just help Jerry's body with this bone cancer that God, you would just heal him from this. He's had a long battle with this. And so, Jesus, I just pray that you would be with him. Make your presence known to him. Give him your peace that surpasses all understanding. And ultimately, Father, we, we pray that you would heal him, that he would no longer deal with this any longer. And we pray for Carolyn as well. We just lift her up to you, Father. And we know it's a difficult situation whenever hospice has uh, been called in. And so, uh, Father, we just we lift her up to you. We just pray for the same thing, that you give her your peace, Father, that surpasses all understanding. And, God, that you would just heal her from whatever is happening in her body. And, God, I, I pray that you would just ultimately give her peace, give her family peace as well. From any of the, the worry, the anxiety, the, the heartache that, that comes with a parent and a grandma and an aunt that, that's going through this, uh, Father, I just pray for peace, your peace in this situation. And Father, we pray that your glory would come out of this, that you would take what the enemy meant for evil and you would turn it for good, Father, and that your glory would become out of this, that people would grow in their relationship with you. And we pray that for each and every one of us, that God, even though we may go through difficult times in life, even though, God, life isn't always easy, life isn't always perfect, that Father, we would choose to glorify you in spite of that, that you would take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good in our lives as well, Father, that we could glorify you, that we could grow in our relationship with you, that, Father, we could point people towards you as well, that we could share your love with those around us in whatever situation we find ourselves in, God, that we would glorify you with everything that we have. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, would you stand up again with us? Uh, we're going to sing one more song before we dive into God's word uh, this morning. As we do that, the ushers are also going to come forward and receive this morning's offering.
Amen. You may be seated. Well, hey, today, if you have your Bible or if you're on the YouVersion Bible app, I encourage you to go to 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to finish up uh, chapter 6 and then we're going to go into chapter 7 as well. We're going to talk about uh, it's a really difficult time in the Israelite nation's history. Uh, if you've been with us for any amount of time, you know that we've been talking about the prophets Elijah and Elisha. So uh, we talked about Elijah and the ministry that he started and why God called him to Israel. And now Elisha has picked up that ministry. He finds himself in really interesting situations. This one is, uh, it, man, it, it's difficult. I'm going to be honest with you. As we take a look at this, Man, it is a difficult passage of Scripture to look at. So I just want to warn you, uh, if you had thought, man, this is going to be all rainbows and butterflies throughout Elijah, Elisha's story, 
Uh, it's not. It's really difficult. Uh, to me, it kind of matches the weather outside. It's kind of gloomy, rainy outside, so maybe it's a good uh, passage for today. But we're going to take a look at this. So follow along, if you will, uh, in your Bible or on the app. As always, if you are on the app, you can follow us there. Click that More tab, then Events. You can always find all the information you normally find in your paper bulletin. The words are also going to be uh, behind me here on the screen. So follow along with me, if you will, here in 2 Kings uh, chapter 6, starting in verse 24. This is what it said. Afterwards, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and a fourth part of cob of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Now, as the king of Israel was passing by on a wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you, from the threshing floor or from the wine press? And the king asked her, What's your trouble? She answered, This woman said to me, Give me your son. That way we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. I told you, this is a hard passage of Scripture. If you're new to church, I'm sorry. This is not every passage of Scripture, but this is a difficult one to look at. Uh, but we're going to keep looking at this. Look what happens next. So we boiled my son and ate him, and on the next day I said to her, Give me your son, that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he would be passing by the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. And he said, My God, do so to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Saphat, remains on his shoulders today. Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. Now, the king had dispatched a man from his presence, but before the messengers arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Do you see how this murderer has sent to take off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold fast against him. Is not that the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still speaking with them, the messenger came down and said, This Trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a saw of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two saws for a barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. We're going to pause the story there. The story actually continues in uh, all the way through chapter 7. There's a lot here, though, so we're going to talk about this this week. Next week, we're going to have the privilege of hearing from some missionaries, and then the following week, we'll end it. So you got to stick with us here. I promise there is an ending to this terrible, terrible story, but today we're just going to talk about this part of it. So... Pray with me, if you will, ask for God's help uh, as, as we talk about this. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you that it's perfect, that we can rely on it in our lives, that we can trust in this. And God, that you just didn't leave us here on our own, but you're here with us, that we can have a relationship with you because of what you've done on the cross. So Jesus, we thank you for that. And as we take a look at your word, God, I, I pray again that you would just strengthen your relationship with us. That when we leave this place, 
We could honor you. We could glorify you. We could worship you better because of the time that we spent here today talking about your word and applying it to our lives. Help us to actually apply it. Soften our hearts, Holy Spirit, and conform us to your image. Jesus, it's in your powerful, life-changing name we pray. Amen. Um, well, my daughter has uh, just started kindergarten, and her starting kindergarten has reminded me there's different kind of students out there, and my daughter is very different from the kind of student I was. Uh, my daughter came home, Alana came home uh, the first day of kindergarten, and uh, my wife Tammy and I, we said, hey, uh, Alana, how is, how is kindergarten? And she goes, it's great. I want to live there. Uh, I don't know if that was ever my attitude as a kid. Uh, I was never the super studious kind of guy. I mean, I didn't flunk out or anything, but uh, school was never something I ever wanted to go at. In fact, I was more so just annoyed. Maybe you were like that when you were in school. Uh, maybe you were a brainiac. You loved it. Maybe you hated school. Uh, maybe it just annoyed you. Uh, but I think one of the most annoying things about school for me were tests. Now, I, I hate sitting down at my desk and doing work. Uh, even today, uh, if you're ever here at the church during the week, you'll probably see me get up about a few dozen times out of my desk and just go walk around. I'll be thinking about something. I'll be calling someone. I'll be writing something down. I'll just be walking around. I just hate sitting down and doing things. And tests are like the epitome of that, right? You sit down and you have to write through something or check off certain bubbles or write short answers about something for 30, 45, maybe even 60 minutes. And it's just a hassle. And I thought that all the way through high school. And then when I got to college, things changed a little bit. There were less tests, more papers, more projects to work on, more speeches, more sermons to give. When I got to college, I was actually doing what I wanted to do. I'd already been called by God to be a pastor, and so I was trying to fulfill that by going to college, and I realized, hey, I actually kind of like school if it involves something that I actually like. Maybe you had that situation too when you went off to college and you're saying, hey, actually, I kind of like this. Or maybe you went to trade school and you're saying, man, I kind of like working with my hands instead of sitting at a desk. It's, it's, it's more me. It fits my giftings a little bit better. But that's interesting about tests because when you're not prepared for a test, it gives you a lot of anxiety, right? It's like, man, I don't want to take this. I'm worried about how I'm going to do on this thing. I don't know how this is going to work. And then if you are uh, uh, really prepared for it, you're almost excited to take that test. Maybe you've had that situation where you're like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Let me show you what I can do. The same goes for our faith, that God sometimes puts our faith to the test. And I know sometimes that's difficult. We think of God, and we're like, God really put our faith to the test. But yes, sometimes he does put our test to the faith and or to, the, to our faith to the test and different times it can either cause us to grow in our relationship with God it could also cause us to fall away from our relationship with God and think about it if you've ever been through a really difficult time in your life maybe that was a time where man you just clung on to God and you said man this is awesome I, I I know I don't like what I'm going through but this is really great because I'm clinging on to God and you could look back at that time in your life and you could say man I really grew my relationship with the Lord during that time. Maybe for you, you've gone through a really, really difficult time, but you're still here at church and you look back at that difficult time and you say, man, that really hardened my heart towards God. Uh, my relationship with the Lord, it, it's not great anymore. I, that Because of that time, it's really hardened my heart. Maybe it's created me to be cynical or even bitter towards the faith, but I'm still a believer. I, I still show up. I still believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. 
I'm just kind of bitter towards God during this season of our lives. The reality is, is that we're all going to go through difficult times in life. You don't have to listen to a 32-year-old pastor tell you that. You know that's the truth. If you're more than like two years old, you know there's difficult times in life, right? It's really difficult sometimes. So the question becomes, when you have those marital disputes, when you have those financial difficulties, when you have the job problems, when you're having interpersonal relationship problems, how do I grow in my relationship with God versus become bitter, versus become hard-hearted and cynical towards my faith? We're going to take a look at this passage of Scripture today because right now Israel, as I had mentioned earlier, is going through an extremely difficult time. Now, right here in verse 24, we see that Syria is actually fighting Israel. Now, you might look at earlier on in this passage what we looked at last week, and you might say, man, weren't they over this? Like, didn't Elisha feed the enemies? And it was this amazing way that that they were safeguarding themselves and, and fighting the enemy without actually fighting the enemy and how we can do that in our lives as well, and it worked. Well, Typically, when we look at this, we have to realize that not always is the Old Testament in chronological order like we would typically like it to be. So that's one explanation, that it's just out of chronological order. In their culture, they didn't value chronological order near as much as we do today. You could also look at that passage of Scripture, and it says that there's a certain band of army, maybe it's a different army of Syria. We're not exactly sure. All we know is that this is a really, really difficult time for Israel. In fact, when we read this earlier, it said that as they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. Now, I don't know about you, but I really like to eat. Uh, I like burgers. I like Chinese food. I like Mexican food. I mean, I really like to eat exhibit A. A donkey's head, uh, that doesn't sound appetizing. That, that's, that's disgusting, right? And it's going for 80 shekels. Of silver, that was almost a month, or I'm sorry, a year and a half's wage for a typical worker. I want you to think about this just for a just for a moment. You're spending maybe upwards of seventy-five, eighty thousand dollars on a disgusting meal that you don't like. I couldn't imagine spending that amount of money, just period. But like on a meal that I don't like, man, that that's crazy. It says that. Uh, a, a fourth of a part of a cob. A cob is about uh, a quart or so of dove's dung. You read that correctly. Dove's dung for five shekels of silver. That was over a month's wage for a worker. They're selling, let's be honest, it's bird poop for a month's wage. That's how dire the situation is. Okay, so we're not talking about, man, things are really hard and I have to choose between my Netflix and my Hulu account at the end of the month, right? This this is dire. I can't feed my children. It gets worse than that, though. As the king is passing by, this woman cries out and he's like, hey, what do you need? And the woman says that she made this deal with this other woman and she said, hey, um, you know what? We'll kill your son today. We'll eat him and then we'll kill my son tomorrow and we'll eat him. This is a terrible, terrible, terrible situation that they find themselves in. And so the king, he's put in this lose-lose situation, and he just walks away. He goes, come on, this is terrible. It says in verse 30 that he had sackcloth, that he had torn his clothes. This is a, 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 a thing that they would do if they were mourning. If someone died, they would do this. If they were going through a difficult situation, they would do this. The king is saying, hey, listen, this is terrible. This is a crisis in my life. Things are falling apart in my life. Maybe you feel like that today. 
Maybe you feel like, man, life's falling apart. I, I don't know what to do. My marriage is hanging on by a string. My relationship with my kids, it's just not working. Finances, I don't know how we're going to make the mortgage payment at the end of the month. This is just a, a terrible, terrible crisis in my life. How do you grow in your relationship with God in a crisis in your life? We're going to take a look at some people in this passage of Scripture. We're going to look at bad examples and good examples of what they do. Here's the first bad example. The king says this. He, he's in this dire situation. His country is falling apart. And he says, May God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Saphat, remains on his shoulders today. What is he doing? He's looking at the prophet of God. Remember, this is the person that speaks on God's behalf. He's looking at him and he's saying, Hey, listen, um, obviously the prophet has something to do with this. Let's cut his head off. I mean, let's execute him. Let's get him out of here because I'm upset that this is happening to the country. In a crisis, there's four tendencies in this passage of Scripture that we see that we will have in a crisis. And if we're not careful, we'll repeat the same mistake that they have. In the middle of a crisis, your first tendency is going to be to blame others. You're going to say, hey, um, you know what, it's, if you're in a marital dispute, it, the husband's always going to say, if she would only do this, this, and this and change, the wife is always going to say, if he would only be that person and change this way, right? It's always the other person. If you're in a financial situation, maybe it's your job's problem. Maybe it's your boss's problem that just has it out for you. If you're in an interpersonal relationship problem, maybe it's that other person. They're constantly doing things wrong. We want to blame other people. Jesus brings this up in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What is he saying? He's saying, Hey, listen, in the middle of a situation where you're looking at someone else, also, you need to look at yourself, and really, you need to look at yourself first. Paul will reiterate this in Romans. He'll say, therefore, you have no excuse, O oh man. Every one of you who judges for passing in judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. What the king should have realized is he should have realized, why is Samaria under attack right now? Why is Israel under attack right now? The Syrians are warring against us. Why? He should have realized, man, the Old Testament actually explains why they're attacking us and why they're winning. Remember Deuteronomy? This is Moses' kind of his pep talk before the Israelites get into the promised land. Uh, it gets a bad rap, but it's actually a pretty exciting book to read if you remember that. And the entire chapter, chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, he gives them this. If We don't have time to read the entire chapter today. I just want to read two verses from, you, from this. But if you have time... Uh, this week or maybe even this afternoon, read through Deuteronomy 28. It's really good at the first half because it gives them the good consequence. Hey, if you stick with God, this is what happens. And then towards that second half, he turns and says, yeah, but if you don't, here's what's going to happen. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 52, it says, they shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and forfeited walls, which you trusted, come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you in all your towns throughout your land which the Lord your God has given you. And you shall eat of the fruit of your womb, the flesh of your sons and daughters. Remember what's happening in Israel. This exact same thing. 
whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and in the distress in which your enemies shall distress you. This is what happens in this passage of Scripture. Deuteronomy 28 tells us this is what was going to happen. They didn't stick with God. Israel was unfaithful, and now Syria is besieging them and winning against them. And all the king wants to do is blame others. And in crisis mode, we want to blame others. Well, maybe sometimes we need to look at ourselves and say, God, am I in a crisis because of what I have done? Have I caused this? God, is there anything in my life that I need to change? Is there something that I can do in this situation? Maybe it's not my spouse's problem. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's not my boss. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's not my friend. Maybe it's me. Or maybe I'm feeding into this situation in a certain way where, man, it's just not helping the situation out at all. How can I glorify God in the midst of this situation? Typically, it doesn't involve blaming other people. Take a look here for the second tendency. It says this, while he was still speaking with them, this is Elisha, he's speaking with them, he knows what's going to happen. It says that the messenger came down and said, this trouble is from the Lord. Why shall I wait for the Lord any longer? He blames not only Elisha for what's happening, but this messenger specifically blames God. So not only are they blaming other people, they're blaming God directly, even though it was their own fault. Deuteronomy 28 tells us that, that these are the consequences. You've chosen to do this. You've chosen to have Syria besiege you by being unfaithful. And look at what he says. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Your second tendency is not only to blame others, but also to not wait on the Lord. I'm sure my English teacher wife would not like me phrasing it like that, but I think it's just the most simple way to put it. It's that that's our tendency, that we don't want to wait for God. So many times we want to come up with a plan. So many times we want to say, how are we going to fix this? If you're anything like me, that, that's me. I, I want to go out. I want to fix things. I want to do things. And God sometimes just says, you need to just trust in me, sit back and wait on me. Um, there's a lot of construction happening. Uh, if, if you were in town here on the south side, uh, Michigan and Ireland this week, man, I, I see your guys, everyone's shaking their head. Oh, geez. Yeah, this is happening. This is terrible. It, it's like so hard to get around. Uh, I was with my son uh, this week and we were going grocery shopping yesterday. Or, no, sorry, Friday was my day off. We go grocery shopping. It's just our routine. And so I was trying to take him to Aldi and it takes us like 10 minutes to like cross over Michigan because it's like so backed up. And I think it's the most frustrating thing just to sit and wait in construction, right? Even if you have to detour and it takes you like 20 extra minutes, it's better than waiting for like 10 minutes, right? Because you're actually doing something. You know how long it's going to take. You, you, you are moving, right? You're not just sitting there being frustrated. Sometimes that's a situation with God. Sometimes he just says, I need you just to wait. I don't need you to take the detour. I don't need you to take the long way around. I don't need you to come up with solutions. I need you to wait on me. This is why the Bible constantly talks about waiting for the Lord, like Psalm 27, verse 19. says to wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 37 puts it like this, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Isaiah chapter 40 puts it like this. This is one of my favorite a couple of verses in all of the Bible. It says, Even you shall faint, grow weary, and young men shall faint, fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. Waiting on the Lord's really, really frustrating a lot of times. And yet he says, when you do, when you wait on God, when you stop coming up with your own plans, when you go to, before the Lord and say, God, I'm putting this in your hands. I need for you to fix this. And you wait on his answer. You're like an eagle who soars through the sky without flapping his wings, who just seems like he can just soar forever. And you suddenly can do a lot more in life without being frustrated. Suddenly, now, when you do run into construction and, and traffic, you're not freaking out any longer. Suddenly, when your plans to fix situations don't come through, that's not the end of the world. Why? Because you know that you can trust in the Lord and put it in His hands and say, God, I need you to fix this. Two more tendencies that we have in the middle of crisis, crises. Look at the next chapter here in verse 2. So the captain is involved here. So we have another character yet. It says the captain of the king. This is kind of the right-hand man of the, the king of Israel. This guy would have been a very, very high-up official. Uh, think of someone, if it were the United States, this is like the guy who is in charge of the military or something like that. I mean, like the Department of Defense. I mean, he's a very, very high-up guy. And he says, if the Lord himself, look at this, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, how could this thing be? Elisha has just said, he said, hey, listen, this isn't going to be tomorrow. Everything's going to change. Everything's going to change. We're going to have back to normal prices. There's going to be food available and everything's going to go back to normal. And this guy goes, um, listen, Elisha, I think you're off your rocker here, man. This isn't going to happen. If God literally rained down food from heaven, if he opened the windows and shook it out and said, hey, listen, here's some food. Here you go. This still couldn't be a thing. What does he do? Well, he doubts God in two different ways. The first way that he doubts God is that he doubts his word. In verse 1, it says that this is the word of the Lord that Elisha spoke. First and foremost, he's doubting God's word. In the middle of a crisis, you may look at promises that God has for us. Like Romans 8.28 that says, For those who love God and are called according to His purpose, all things are going to work out according to our good. You may look at that and go, I'm not sure if that's really the case anymore, God. You may look at a promise of God's Word to say that He will always be with you no matter what the situation is. And you may say, I don't know. I don't know that I necessarily believe that. God's word should be our hope, like Psalm 130 says. I wait for the Lord. Again, waiting for the Lord. My soul waits. And look at this. And in his word, I hope. Some people, they like to separate God from his word. But the reality is that it's one and the same. In fact, at the beginning of the Gospel of John, it tells us that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word, look at this, was God. Some people just want to take Jesus and leave God's word out of it. But the reality is, is that Jesus is the word of God as the gospel of John tells us this. That he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. That he is the word of God. Which is why in Matthew chapter 4 verse 4 when Jesus is being tempted, he overcomes his temptation by saying, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth 
of God. This should be our hope. This should be what we rely on to say, God, I trust in your word. This is the foundation of my life, and I trust that your promises are true. I trust that what you say in your word is true. And even if I disagree with it, God, I submit to you and I say, whatever your word says is good for my life because that's how I live my life. I trust in you and I trust in your word. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 24. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is the truth that we have. This is the promise that we have from God that his word is true. And in the middle of a crisis, many times, man, we want to doubt that. We want to say, I don't know. I know, I know this is what the Bible says, but I don't know if I really believe it right now. I know, I know that's what the Bible says. I know that's what God says. I know that's what they teach in church, but I don't know if I believe that. In the middle of a crisis, don't fall for the same tendency that the captain of the army did for Israel. Trust in God's word. The next thing is that he doubts not only God's word, but what does Elisha say? He says, hey, listen, all this is going to go away tomorrow. And then he has this, this famous thing of like, man, if God opens the windows in heaven, how could this be? What is he doing? He's not only doubting God's word, he's doubting God's ability. He doubts God's ability to provide for him, to do what God says he will do. He doubts God's ability to provide food for Israel. And listen, in the middle of a crisis, doubt is going to be something that starts to creep in. There's going to be those thoughts that the enemy tries to sneak in your head that say, is God even really real? Is all, I mean, is, is all that stuff that they teach at church, all that stuff that you believed in a long time ago, is that still the case? I mean, is that really real? Is that something you just hoped in for a, a moment to feel good? Is that, is that something that you, you really should be believing in? And the reality is, is that the enemy is going to try and sneak in because he's a prowling lion sneaking around, seeking someone to, to devour, as 1 Peter 5.8 tells us. And so we have to be on guard for that and say, hey, in the middle of a crisis, I'm not going to doubt God's word, and I'm not going to doubt God's ability to get me through this crisis as well. James chapter 1 puts it like this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But look, he gives a good qualifier here in verse 6. He says, but... Let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. He says, hey, go to God and don't doubt that he can provide for you. Don't doubt that he can give you the wisdom that only God can give. Jesus talks about doubting as well in Matthew chapter 21. It says, Jesus answered them, Truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do to what, uh, what has been done to this fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. What happened was Jesus walked by, he cursed a fig tree, and it withered, and his disciples were just amazed by that. And Jesus goes, oh, really? If you're amazed at that? Listen, let me tell you, if you have faith, if you have faith, amazing things can happen. Hebrews 11 puts it like this. Sorry, my remote's getting a little bad. I think my batteries are dying here. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith is really important. And it says, hey, listen, 
I'm not going to doubt. I'm not going to doubt God's ability. I'm not going to doubt God's word. I'm going to wait on the Lord, and I'm not going to blame others. Instead, I'm going to go to the Lord and say, God, how, how do I need to change in this situation? Am I the problem here? Do I need to do something to fix this? Because I haven't been glorifying you with everything that I have. So you might look at this and go, man, that's kind of a gloomy Sunday, right? Like this is not like, as we talked about earlier, all rainbows and butterflies. So what do you do? Three things real quickly as we end today, I want to give you. What do you do in the middle of a crisis? Not only do you, what you look out for, but what do you do to use this time as a time where you would grow in your faith and not fall away? Well, instead, during a crisis, number one, you got to listen to God. you got to go to God and say, what do you have for me during this time? you got to go and say, what are you trying to teach me? As Jesus puts it in chapter 10 of the, the Gospel of John, he says, my, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my head. He's saying, hey, listen, if you follow me, then you know my voice. You listen to me. It's part of being a follower of Jesus is that we listen to the Lord. And not only do we listen, and we have to be able to do the things that God tells us as well. As James chapter 1, verse 22 puts us, but puts it to us that says, But be doers of the word, not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So number one, you've got to listen to God in the middle of a crisis. You've got to go to Him. You've got to go to Him in prayer and say, God, what do you have for me here? How do I grow in my relationship with you? And you've got to avoid the mistake that he makes here as he says, hey, listen, um, I don't know that, he, that God can do this. When Elisha puts it like this, tomorrow about this time, a saw of fine flour will be sold for a shekel and two says of barley for a shekel. Now, listen, these aren't amazing prices. These aren't like go get a loaf of bread for a penny or something, but it is just normal, ordinary, everyday prices. Elisha says, hey, listen, everything's going to be back. There's going to be food available. They're going to be available to you at normal prices. And the guy doubts that. Secondly, after listening to God, you also have to realize crises are only temporary. Every crisis in your life is temporary. And you might look at me and go, yeah, but Josh, what if you get a terminal illness? I mean, what if, what if, what if man, if you're terminally ill and this crisis, my health crisis in my life, this is going to be the end of my life? Yeah, that may be true, but it's still only temporary because your existence as a believer of Jesus Christ is not here just on earth, but also for eternity in heaven with God. If you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what happens on earth is temporal. It's temporary. It ends. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians. He says, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. I like how he puts it. It's just, oh, it's the light momentary affliction here. Paul went through some terrible things. He was shipwrecked, beaten, wrongly imprisoned. Ah, it's a light momentary affliction. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. If you feel like you're going through a crisis right now, I want you to hold on to that promise that Paul puts in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's a light momentary affliction, and it prepares for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul will put it later in Romans chapter 8. He'll say, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I'm reminded of Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. That says, Every tear, every bad thing that will ever happen on earth in heaven, it's all gone. It will be no more. The relational strife, the financial crises, the job situations, all of these troubles one day will be no more. It's only temporary. Lastly, one more thing I want you to write down. In the middle of a crisis, instead of making those mistakes, listen to God, realize that it's only temporary, and lastly, trust in the Lord. Trust in God with everything you got. I know we ended the the message last Sunday with that as well. But in the middle of a crisis, there's only so many things you can do. Go to God, pray, realize it's only temporary, and ultimately trust in Him. There was a guy in Scripture, his name was Joseph. He, uh, he was in from uh, Genesis chapter 37 all the way to the end of the book of Genesis in chapter 50. And if you have time, again, this is another uh, a passage of Scripture. I'm going to really encourage you to read sometime this week. Genesis 37 through 50. And read about Joseph's life. He goes through terrible, terrible, terrible things. He's wrongly imprisoned. He goes and is sold into slavery. I mean, it's a terrible story. And at the end of it, he realizes that God had it all for his good and for the good of the people around him and for God's glory. And in, in fact, in chapter 20, uh, I'm sorry, in chapter 50, verse 20, it says, As for you, you meant evil against me. He's speaking to his brothers who sold him into slavery. As for you, meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive. I don't know what situation you're going through today. I don't know what crisis you look at in your life. But trust in God for it. Because maybe, just maybe, He could take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good. In fact, I won't even say maybe. God can do that and He will do that. He'll take what the enemy meant for evil and He'll turn it for good. And you simply got to trust Him with that. Towards the end of the book of Romans, Paul will bless the church in Rome. And he'll simply say this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Hillside, may we be a people of hope. That even when we go through difficult times, even when we go through crises in our lives, we can say, God, I trust in you. I trust you, God. I give you everything that I have. I listen to you, and I realize, man, this is only temporary, and I give it to you, and I trust you. What are you going through in your life, and how can you give that to God? Maybe you've been going through something for a long time, and maybe you're just kind of sick of it. You're saying, man, I'm, I'm over this. Maybe it's hardened your heart. Maybe it's turned you bitter or cynical. Maybe there are even worse outcomes from that. And you're saying, I don't know what I'm going to do about this. How can you hand that over to God? And how can that change your life? How can He soften your heart? How can He make you the person He created you to be? You have to hand that over to Him and say, God, I trust in You. I trust in You with this crisis, this terrible situation in my life. 
I hand it over to you, and I trust you. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you that you have made that available, that we can trust you because of what you've done on the cross. We can have a relationship with you. We can be close with you. We don't have to turn cynical and hard-hardened, God, that we can grow in our relationship with you. Despite what's happening, God, you can take what the enemy meant for evil and you can turn it for good. And so we trust you. We trust you with the difficult times in our life. We trust you with our relationships. We trust you with our finances. We trust you with our health. We trust you with our loved ones. And God, we hand them over to you. We hand all these things over to you and say, God, I can't do this on my own. But through your power, I can. Because with man, things are impossible. But with you, all things are impossible, are are possible. And we trust you with that, Father, that all things are possible through you. Jesus, so we hand these over to you and we trust you. We trust you with everything that we have. Help us to do that as we leave this place. Help us to grow in our relationship with you and honor you more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.